Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. We're recording today's episode on Friday the 17th of July. And as promised last week, today we're going to focus on the Office for Budget Responsibility, the OBR, um, Fiscal Sustainability Report, which was published on Tuesday the 14th of July. Now, as we said last week, the key idea for this report was to build on the scenario that they published on the 14th of April and to develop that into a central scenario with an upside and downside to show the range of possible outcomes for the economy. I mean, the stark warning, though, is that there's still the expectation is that the GDP figures will see the largest annual decline for 300 years. So the original April scenario um, had suggested a 35% decline in GDP in Q2, but it was looking to bounce back quite quickly. And in that report, they said that what effectively that meant was that there had to be a growth of 25% in Q3 and 20% in Q4 to give the overall decline of 13% for the for the whole year. Yes, and, and, and Joe, that's a very interesting um, <clears throat> suggestion because we're already starting to get uh, some data about some parts of the economy um, for Q3, very early indications. And The Guardian this morning has published some figures about hospitality, um, mm. not, not um, Independence Day and the splurge, on the splurge on the 4th of July, but the week starting the 6th of July, and the drop in sales um, in the hospitality sector year on year, so comparing with, with the same period in 2019, sales were down 39% in pubs. 43% in bars and 40% in the restaurants, all of these that were open. So, you know, we aren't exactly, that bit of the economy isn't exactly rushing back into action. No, so we're not looking, that's, that's, that's those growth figures that they they said in April that would be required are looking pretty ambitious, yeah, aren't they? absolutely. Um, so now I, I think the, the, the July report is now... Um, looking at GDP declining about 25% in Q2, but the recovery, and we're going to focus today really on the central um, scenario because that seems to be the most sensible um, thing to to look at. And I think that is where the OBR are basically kind of pointing. And again, we must remember this is a scenario, not a forecast, but that's where they they seem to be um, pointing us towards. Um, So now they're expecting the pre-virus peak um, of GDP is only reached by the end of 2022. So that is a much, much slower um, recovery. Now, something that struck me in particular in the report is a frustration over the seeming lack of engagement with the, the Treasury. Now, OBR is an independent body, but there are certain um, statutory powers that they've got to request um, information from, from Treasury. And they only found out about the intended summer statement at the same time as everybody else. And the Treasury declined to provide information to enable the OBR to include any detail from the summer statement into their report. And it also seemed to me quite incredible that in the forward, the OBR committee felt the need to state at no point did we come under any pressure from ministers, special advisors or officials to alter any of our analysis or conclusions. I confess I didn't see a similar statement in the 14th of April report, so I suppose we can read into that a a number of ways. Um, So it's over 150 pages long and 
obviously there's far too much detail to cover everything but Nick and I when we were doing our prep for for this and looking at the um looking at the reports thought that there were three key areas that would be interesting to focus on so we're going to look at employment business indebtedness and insolvencies and Brexit so Nick where, where do we start should we start at the top take it away take it away okay well let's let's start with employment the our favoured scenario, the central scenario, talks about unemployment, um, uh, the progress through to 2024. And it says that, uh, remember, the unemployment figure was 1.3 million in 2019. Mm-hmm. It's suggesting it will peak at 3 million um, this year and then go on up, rising to 3.5 million in 2021. Oh. So that means that that point in 2021, the unemployment figure will be almost three times what we had before the virus. And it will only then start to come down in 2022 to 2.4 million, roughly double where we were before, down to 2.1 million in 2023, which means that there would be 800,000 people more unemployed than there were before. And even as far out as 2024, we'll have 600,000 more people unemployed. And my take from that is, is... is terribly simple. That's a lot of spending power that will not be in the economy because whatever um, source of income they have, whether it's universal credit or other benefits, the answer is they won't have as much money to spend those people, Mm. those unfortunate people, as they did before. And that's going to have a ripple effect out right through the consumer-facing parts of the economy. And Remember, this is an economy that survives on consumption. That's right, only, we really rely on consumer spending, don't we? It only works on consumer spending. Mm. And, and, a, and a, an excellent point you made when we were talking about this, Joe. Um, it's not just the impact of the unemployed and the lack of spending power. It's the fear of unemployment that will, will curb the spending by those who are in work. Mm. So confident. I mean, we always come back to this, don't we? Everything so much relies on confidence. And if you're if you're worried, if we're operating in this um, this economy where we're worried about losing our jobs, and we know people, and and with these kind of figures, we're likely to have personal experience, aren't we? Of, yes, we are. Of, of people losing jobs, and that does yes, bring that home much more, doesn't it? That's right. Um, now then, um, business indebtedness and and insolvency. I really wanted to focus. I mean the the. Business indebtedness, uh, we've talked several times in these, uh, in these episodes over the period about how indebtedness is rising, a lot of debt is being taken on by companies. Um, I've talked endlessly about the danger of increasing indebtedness. Mm. The city's warned about the amount of unsustainable debt and how it's going to be refinanced in the future. But curiously, right now, I am being inundated by requests from journalist friends saying, why the heck is there no insolvency at the moment? You know, the figures are roughly half where they, where they would normally be. And I've got a mantra now uh, to explain this, and it goes something like this. There are four main reasons why businesses go bust. They can't pay the wages, they can't pay the rent, they can't pay the VAT, and they can't pay the PAYE. Now, if you think through all of those, Government's paying the paying the payroll. Yeah, absolutely. Not quite that simple, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. the government sorted that one out. Landlords have been completely neutered, so you can you can sort of 
laugh in the face of your landlord and say, I'm not, not paying the rent. Um, that has been deferred until March 2021. Yeah. And uh, PAYE hasn't been deferred, but you can agree a deferment on a case-by-case basis with HMRC. There's a time to pay arrangement type thing. Time to I, pay, yeah. similar, similar thing. So if you... And let's face that, it, um, HMRC will be inclined to be... Lenient. Beneficial, won't they? They'll be benevolent ben- on, on these... On these ben- ben- absolutely. And the, even the businesses that took loans, you know, these famous C-bills and the bounce-back loans, almost all of them have got some element of capital repayment holiday first 12 months, uh, with the small C-bills under 5 million, um, the government is paying the interest for the first um, the first year. So no pressure there. So it's actually really quite difficult to go bust unless you really want to right right now. Yeah. But of course, the problem is um, the wages have gone, have, have gone away because the government's paying them. The rent hasn't gone away. The VAT hasn't gone away. And the PAYE on the staff that you have furloughed or you've kept on, hasn't gone away, and the loans haven't gone away. There's then another feature here. About a fifth of all corporate insolvencies go through the courts. They're compulsory liquidations. You need a winding up petition and then a court order. When the virus struck, commercial courts ground to a halt almost straight away. And then, of course, the government has outlawed the use of winding up petitions, at least for the time being, um, with the corporate Insolvency and Governance Act. Act. Mm. So what you've got now is low levels of insolvency. And you've got, interestingly, Eula Hermes has come out, hasn't it, uh, Joe, with a forecast predicting that we could have 31,500 corporate insolvencies in 2021 as a result of what's not happening now. And that is shocking. Yeah, put those, in, those figures into context, let, Nick. Let, what, let me put that into normal con- year of insolvencies, con- for example? 2019, there were 17,000 corporate insolvencies, and that held 2018, 2017, 2016, much the same. The peak of insolvencies was immediately after the global financial crisis, 2009, around 22,000. So 31,500... I have to say, will probably break the insolvency yeah. profession, and it'll certainly break the insolvency service um, within the uh, department for business. And it, it's it's just shocking. So, uh, I mean, it's always been the, the case. I've been through uh, more recessions than I care to think about. Everybody expects uh, insolvencies to soar during the recession, but in practice, they don't. In practice, they come afterwards in the recovery phase when yeah. depleted working capital means that you, know, you grow and you can't afford, you can't pay and, and you go bust. But I wanted to highlight within this uh, something, and at least one of our listeners, one of our regular listeners has raised this uh, point. I think everybody knows by now what I think about um, the use of CVAs and prepack administrations to oppress certain classes of creditors, notably landlords. Yes, you're not a fan, are you? I'm not a fan. And I see we've got another CVA announced, was it yesterday or first thing this morning with with Pizza Express, you know, designed to be able to shut 65 um, uh, stores, um, um, restaurants. Restaurants. Mm. Um, I could be cynical and say one one of the interesting things about a CVA is that there's no risk of disqualification as a director and there's no obligation to report on director's conduct with a CVA but let's just put that to one side 
I want to flag up um, something that one of our listeners has, has, has raised. The latest wheeze, whizzy thing with, with uh, pre-pack admins is not to go straight into administration, but to file what's called a notice of intention to appoint an administrator. And that creates an immediate breathing space that stops all enforcement action against the company. It's right. a 10-day period. It can be extended. I've known them extended twice, so 20 days. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Um, okay. I've known longer, but that's very, very exceptional. Now, here's the thing. There's no requirement to notify creditors of the notice. And this is quite shocking, isn't it? This is pretty... Yeah. Pretty, I know pretty shocking. One of our listeners raised it, and I went looking for the, the, the details. And the only public record of the fact that this, that this standstill in, is in existence is a court record because you have to file the notice in court. There's no requirement, as far as we can see, Joe, uh, okay. to, to file at Companies House, even, even if you could pick it up in time in 10 days, mm. if Companies House were that efficient. Um, and I checked the insolvency rules. The only people who have to be told of this notice to in, uh, of intention to appoint are any creditors who are already taking enforcement action or who have already distrained on the company's assets and property. They have to be told. But, but otherwise, um, otherwise, nobody no needs to be told. Now, the reason why this is important, I mean, I... I it puts creditors in a really invidious position because here you are, a company's about to go into administration. You don't know. And here you are with a 10 or maybe a 20-day window. It, this is your last opportunity to change your terms of supply or service because under the Corporate Insolvency Act, you now cannot, once a company is in administration or any other insolvency process, you can no longer refuse to supply, change your credit terms or change your prices. As long as the contract is being kept by both sides, as long as they're... As long as it's being kept by both sides. Yeah. But So you are locked in from that point. Now, this is the, the moment when the company's in trouble, where, where if you were a supplier, you might want to see what you can do about your relationship. You want to, want to manage your risk down a little bit, it's, won't you? It's, mm. Yeah, you, you, you call it management. Um, in insolvency terms, it's known as mitigation. But mm -hmm. same thing, uh, same thing. So um, I think the message from all of this is that you need to keep on top of um, court records it, as best you can, mm. because that may be the only way you find out that a key... Um, uh, uh, debtor or a supplier in a supply chain yeah. is about to go into administration. Anyway, end of rant. But that is a really that's an interesting um, point, and thank you very much to the people that have been in touch with us and um, and, and talked about that. So, are we where are we, Nick? We're, Brexit. We've talked the about last, <laughs> the last point is Brexit. So, the most interesting till, till yes, last. Ab absolutely wonderful. There is just right at the end. I missed it completely, but Joe found it, of course, eagle eyes. Um, just before she nodded off at the end of the 150 page <laughs> yeah, document. It's not a page turn, I have to say. I mean, it's an interesting report, but um, you do need to, you do need to um, have a strong cup of coffee if you're reading this 150-page report. But right at the very end, uh, and of course it's, a, it's, a, it's an irritating document because you tell me it's got no page numbers. I think they are, if you read a PDF, I think you can see that at the top, but you have to keep, yeah, anyway, keep anyway, going back mind. and forward. Yeah. Never mind. Um, it just right at the end, there's a throwaway remark. It just says... Um, 
this these scenarios, the the, the um, various scenarios, and Joe has a comment to make about those at the end, um, are all predicated on an orderly withdrawal from the EU and a trade deal with the EU going forward. Or is that hmm. just draw dropping, isn't it? Given it's just, I mean, what else would they do, Joe? To be honest with you, none of us know what's going to happen with a no deal exit. Mm. We have a hint from Michael Gove that um, it might cost uh, businesses who are using, uh, who are exporting and importing up to, he thinks, 7 billion, others think 13 billion just to process the paperwork. But beyond that, we know nothing. So the, the answer is just, if you're looking at these scenarios and you're thinking about what we're saying, just remember, um, this excludes Brexit. And I'm I, sorry, I'm this includes the wrong Brexit. Well, I'm just, it's interesting. I'm just going to read out the little quotes, um, which I think is, is quite beautifully understated. So if um, the UK does revert to trading with the EU on... WTO rules, that would pose downside risks to short and medium term growth prospects on top of the economic challenges created by the pandemic. End of. Yeah. And that's um and that's where they they leave us. So I think that again is a there's a lot more detail in the in the report. So you know I would I would encourage people to to at least look through and see if there are other things that may be interesting but those to us seem like the very key things to to really highlight um as as the risks that the OBR have have looked at and Nick I think you put it quite well earlier in the week when we were preparing for this podcast um you said I'm trying to fit the good the bad the ugly metaphor around the three scenarios but as you concluded they they just all look ugly yes and as, as I as I put it to you slightly more graphically it was a case of um uh, the ugly, the uglier, and the ugliest. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's that's really um, not much more to say. I think with the lifeline of the um, coronavirus job retention scheme that starts to taper off from from August, scientific advice still being work from home if you can. Although, as we heard yesterday from Patrick Valance, you know that's a scientific view. The, the government are taking a rather different. Um, um, actually, James Brokenshire this morning um, went along with Patrick Valance. Oh, did he? That's interesting. So it looks as though number 10 may have blinked about that. And they're ro- rowing back um, from that. That's, that is interesting. Um, I think as well, the, with the face masks um, introduction in shops, um, I suspect that that is going to detract again from the experience of going to a brick, bricks and mortar retailer. And, and don't misunderstand me, I'm I'm very much support the, the measure, but I can see that it won't necessarily encourage people to venture out to shops and, and spend in, in shops. Um, so it feels like the outlook is is pretty bleak. We haven't really got anything in the next week or so on the scale of the summer statement or the OBR um, report. So I think we will continue to kind of keep keep tabs on the fallout from some of these um, measures. Already the Institute for Fiscal Studies are starting to unpick the summer statement. So I'm sure there'll be more to, to talk about that on that next week. Um, the next big um, date for data release is the 12th of August. Um, and then we should get some clarity on the Q2 um results so we will obviously be picking up on that so i think that's all from us this week thank you again to nick very much for your um your very erudite comments and everybody for listening until next time goodbye